Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Keep Left, the program of the Victorian Labour College. Um, well, John will be with us in one moment, but in an attempt to head off seeding popular hostility to the predatory practices of the of the banks, uh, a parliamentary committee last week held three hour-long question and answer sessions with each of the CEOs of the big banks. I mean. Tokenism is absolute worst. Report after report has appeared of people losing their homes, life savings, livelihoods or farms as a result of ruthless foreclosures, exorbitant interest rates, misleading financial advice and denial of insurance claims. Uh, welcome to the studio, John. Morning. Banks have rigged interest rates, engaged in inside trading, charged excessive fees, forged documents and denied insurance payments to terminally ill people or the families of those who have died by refusing to pass on the interest rate by, by, made by the Reserve Bank. Since 2011, the banks have gouged millions of dollars more from people paying off mortgages. According to the ABC's interest rate calculator, Somebody borrowed a 300000 loan from the Commonwealth Bank in 2011 over 30 years, has paid $5,213 in extra instrument interest repayments over five years. All this has occurred while the banks have been supervised by an array of official agencies. You wouldn't believe that they're being surveyed by anybody, but they're in fact being looked after by the RBA, the Australian Prudential Regulation Authority and the Australian Securities and Investment Commission, <coughs> which exposes the fraud that, well, the banks, as they would claim, uh, we're regulated already. No, they're not. Malcolm Turnbull's fra fragile government convened the House of Representatives Economic Committee's hearings to counter populist calls by Labor Greens and One Nation and Nick Xenophon for a royal commission into the banks. By the opening day of the proceedings demonstrated that the opening day of the proceedings demonstrated the lie of the claim that any parliamentary inquiry or royal commission would take any actions to even dint the super profits of the banks, which are amongst the most rapacious in the world. After all of them, it was interesting to watch, they all came on, humbly apologised to their bank figures. <laughs> That's cheap, of course, isn't it? All I heard was about 15, 20 minutes of some guy, some guy saying what a great job the Commonwealth Bank did. Well, yeah, they did That's their little... That's right, that's right, that's right. Uh, the CBA's chief executive, Ian Neruff, was blunt. He warned the politicians. It was very dangerous to try and regulate bank profitability. Well, I bet it is. Any interference, he said, with bank profits would threaten the ability of the banks to attract investors and borrow on the world's financial markets. I wept tears of blood at that, I tell you, listeners. Nara also defended his personal $12.3 million pay packet, refused to reveal how much profit the CBA makes on home mortgages and declined to rule out asking for government assistance if they faced another global crash. Whether they represented the Liberal government, the Labour or the Greens, the questions from the 10 committee members played straight into the hands of the banks. The Greens MP, Adam Bart, asked what the Australian Financial Review called a useful question about the government guarantees of Australian's banks. The Greens have proposed a 0.2% levy on bank assets, 
in return for the government support. So when they go bad, we'll bail them out 100% on the basis that they pay a 0.2 levy on it. Um, the government support, which boosts the four banks' profits by about $4 billion a year, via lower interest rates in the global money markets. The Greens' proposal, which is in line with the IMFF recommendations, <coughs> is one of numerous efforts being made to channel public anger back behind the continual propping up of the corporate-controlled financial system. Thistlewaite, the ALP bloke, spoke of forcing the banks to clean up their unethical behaviour. <laughs> it's like preaching morality to the keeper of a brothel. This is cynical myth-making, to quote Trotsky. This is cynical myth-making. As the chief executive made plain, the purpose of all banks' activities is to keep amassing mega-profits in order to satisfy the appetites of the global financial aristocracy. I think people need to just be reminded of how banks actually operate. You know, I mean, they, they bring in money, right? Mm. Give out a meagre percentage rate for that money and then they loan it out at a much higher percentage rate. Yeah, yeah. They shuffle money around. Oh, well, of course they'll let all that And that's it. how they make... I mean, that's it. That's the basic business model, right? Oh, yes, of course. So... <laughs> I mean, the, the purpose of the bank's activity is not to serve you and I or even to serve the country or the economy. It's to keep massing mega profits in order to satisfy the appetites of the global financiers. That's the culture that drives the behaviour of the banks, especially at the expense of the customers. Uh, Scott Morrison, uh, the Liberal Party minister, has boasted that Australian banks are currently the most profitable in the world. This week, an Australian Institute report concluded that their profits constitute 2.9% of the country's gross domestic product. I mean, that's absolutely huge, which is the highest internationally. The overwhelming majority of these profits come from mortgage and credit card lending to heavily debt-laden households, primarily driven by an unassailable property bubble in major cities, which has pushed home ownership out of the reach of millions and millions of young people. Nowhere in the world are banks as heavily exposed to residential property. In August 2016, official data showed the four banks held 83% of the loan market, as well as 55% of the life insurance premiums and 57% of retail investment funds. The country's household debt ratio, debt to income, of more than 180% is amongst the highest in the developed world. Despite recent share price falls, the big four make up a third of the value of the country's stock exchange. So, they occupy a major part in the Australian economy. Perhaps the biggest fraud of all at this week's hearing was <coughs> Narity's declaration that bank profits were good for everyone because, quote, nearly 80% of Commonwealth Bank is owned directly or indirectly by Australian families. They're not Australia's elite, he said. They're Australians from all walk of life. The reality? The banks are controlled by interlocking financial conglomerates dominated by the wealthiest international investors. The same four entities, HSBC custody nominees, JP Morgan nominees, national nominees and Citicorp nominees are the four top shareholders in all of the four banks. The concentration of ownership has intensified the since the Hawke and Heating Labor governments 
privatised the Commonwealth back in the 1990s. And what a good idea that was, I must say. It's practically impossible to track down the identities of the underlying shareholders through the various financial structures. This process is part of the broader domination of finance capital over global capitalism. A 2011 Swiss study found that 147 companies, overwhelmingly the giant banks and investment funds, headquartered in the US, Western Europe and Japan, they controlled 40% of the world's corporate wealth. The banks are also a sharp expression of the mounting social inequality enforced by various governments. While the big four CEOs, that's four people, took home a combined $30 million over the past year, bank tellers were paid under $50,000. Even those wages of the bank tellers were dependent on the tellers meeting weekly targets for referring customers to particular bank profits. NBA Product. Andrew Thornton... Products. What? Products. That's right. Is that what they call The National Bank Andrew Thornborn flatly told the committee that banks needed to have hungry staff, quote, in order to be competitive like all business. Well, they starve them as well. Well, they might as well. This exploitation and profiteering can be answered only by placing the entire financial sector and every bloody bank under public ownership, the bloody's my interpretation, and every other industry under public ownership, democratically controlled by the working class and... Nothing in the meantime is going to happen. The banks are not going to be pulled in by Labor or Liberal. All right, that's all I want to say on that. Now, what did you want, you want to talk about? Um... Yeah, I was going to speak a little bit about uh, the presidential election, right. which everybody's right. fascinated by. Do you watch the second debate? Yes, I did, yeah. Yes, yeah, so did I. Yeah, well, well, you know, I think it was a bit more even. Uh, after about yes. 10, 15 minutes, I thought they were going to actually get physical. <laughs> Well, that's right. It's and, pretty and Donald Trump walking while she was talking, walking, walking behind her, yeah. clearly designed to intimidate. Oh no, no. Actually, well, actually, it looks if you're looking at from the front, looking at Hillary direct on, and you see him behind, it looks like this great big man coming mm. up behind her like yeah, a yeah. massive bear. Mm. But actually, there's quite a bit of distance between them. There's about I think fifty. Oh, and new money about five meters behind. Yeah, but it. Yeah. if you're moving when someone else is talking, it's usually designed to distract. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, yeah. I, look, I think anyway, her body yeah. language was an awful lot better, but this is all the trivialities which the liberal media goes on, and we're not the liberal media. The liberal media's determination to favour one US presidential candidate over another took a bizarre turn this week. They decided that the most important issue in the campaign wasn't uh, Trump creeping up behind her, but was uh, some stupid comments that Donald Trump made on a private bus 11 years ago. In treating the campaign as little more than an excuse for gossip, they have totally let down, badly let down, a public which should expect some more serious analysis. Still, some things could be said about the 2005 bus incident. Firstly, at the time he made these remarks, Donald Trump was a fully paid-up member of the Democrat Party. Has that been mentioned? Oh, right. Well, he was, you say. The Demo- <laughs> he was a Democrat up until 2009 when Obama got in. The Democrats didn't seem to mind them being a chauvinist at the time, yet all of a sudden they say it matters. Now, if the two most popular Democratic presidents of the last 60 years were to be named, they would probably be John F. Kennedy and Bill Clinton. Both of these guys were renowned for being chauvinists, yet they are routinely applauded by the hypocritical liberal establishment. 
And there's a long line-up of women who can be, and on Monday some of them were for them, called up to detail the mistreatment of them by Bill and Hillary Clinton. Yet it's Hillary Clinton who has repeatedly tried to portray her person herself as a person of virtue and as a defender of women's rights. All of the evidence suggests that this isn't the case. For his part, Trump was attacked from many sides. The religious right wing got on their moral high horse and berated him, and the liberals and the liberal feminists also ganged up on the bad man. Trump quickly and appropriately apologised. It's important that he does so. With uh, just It's about three weeks to go until the election takes place. Serious issues need to be addressed. It's going to be the... Uh, Second Tuesday in November? It's normally the first Tuesday in November. Same oh, as sure. It's sure. going to be the second Tuesday in November. But some serious issues uh, really need to be looked at. For a start, WikiLeaks has released documents which show that Hillary Clinton, in her role as US Secretary of State, was complicit in American arms sales to Islamic terrorist organizations Al-Qaeda and ISIS. An email exchange between Clinton and her campaign manager, John Podesta, posted on Monday, frankly acknowledges that ISIS is funded and supported by Washington's chief allies in the Arab world. Officially, the Obama government has maintained that, while wealthy individuals in Saudi Arabia and Qatar have helped finance ISIS, the despotic governments of these oil monarchies are blameless. That has now been exposed as a lie. As far back as 2009, Hillary Clinton signed a secret State Department memo which stated, quote, Saudi Arabia remains a critical financial support base for al-Qaeda, the Taliban and other terrorist groups. In her recent weak defence, Clinton acknowledged incriminating emails but said that in releasing them, WikiLeaks was acting as a pawn for the Russians. Of late, Clinton and the Democrats have come to blame Vladimir Putin, who they call the godfather, of being behind everything that they don't like. And there's a very long list of all the, in, in, in the liberal mind, the bad things which have been happening in the, in the world, which are all being uh, puppet mastered by Vladimir Putin. Yes, yes. All of them, all of them. This includes, I'll just have some, say some of them. This includes the Brexit vote. He was behind that, apparently. The Greek Golden Dawn, the far-right extremists in Greece, apparently he was behind that. Mm. And now the WikiLeaks website. Is he? <laughs> He's behind the WikiLeaks Weeks website. <coughs> they're, they're working oh. on them. This is a ludicrous argument. Every time she or her government are exposed in foreign affairs, they simply point fingers at the Russians with no evidence whatsoever. Once again, during the second presidential debate, Clinton made belligerent comments which should be of major concern. In response to Trump quite rightly bringing up her email communications, thousands of them, she went on a strange rant where she said this, quote, this is Hillary Clinton speaking, there's a determined effort by the Russian Air Force to destroy Aleppo and Syria. Russia hasn't paid any attention to ISIS. I support the effort to investigate for war crimes by Russia. What is at stake here is the ambition and aggressiveness of Russia. This is from Hillary Clinton. Direct. These are direct quotes. What is at stake here, here is the ambition and aggressiveness of Russia. Did you watch the second debate? Yes, I did. This is from the second debate. Right, right. Yeah. Oh, you think I'm, I'm following? Yeah, 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 yeah. She went on this rant when he uh, started speaking about the emails. 
He should have got stuck into him more, but uh, he, he let her off the hook, I thought. What is at stake here is the ambition and aggressiveness of Russia. The Russians have decided who they want as president, and it's not me. We have... Uh, we have never been in territory. We have never before in history been in a situation where a foreign power is working as hard to influence the outcome of an election. Putin is directing these attacks. WikiLeaks is part of that. I've stood up to Russia. I've taken on Putin, and I would do that as president. It's frightening, really. These are largely false and dangerous words that they're being spoken by the front front runner for the job of United States president. The underdog Trump spoke sensibly when he said, this is Trump, I don't know Putin, but I think it would be great to get along with Russia. He also suggested yet again that the two countries could unite to crush terrorists such as ISIS and Al-Qaeda. Of course, any sensible person would love to see such cooperation between the United States and Russia. Hillary Clinton loves to portray herself as the women's candidate. She's certainly the war candidate. She doesn't like to speak about it now, but she fully backed the 2003 American invasion of Iraq. She also facilitated and cheered the murders of Saddam Hussein and Muammar Gaddafi. Well, I think they're good guys or bad guys. Mm-hmm. It was murder. Yeah. For his part, Trump opposed both the war and the extrajudicial killings of the, these two dictators. So uh, on one side, you have Trump saying something stupid on a private bus 11 years ago when he was a Democrat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and on the other side, you've got Clinton. She sells weapons to ISIS and she wants war with Russia. What do you think is the worst? Well, yes, good question. Good question. No, no, I, I, I think that Trump's eccentricities <laughs> and the fact that he's uh, an overblown narcissist, etc., yeah. uh, has been, that's taken all the attention. Whereas mm. I think Clinton, I agree with you, Clinton, I think, is undistilled evil. Mm. I mean, she's a war candidate, and what none of the candidates have mentioned, even mm. Bernie Sanders, none of them talked about. The, the constant wars that the United States has been in, arguably since the beginning of the first Gulf War in the 1990s. It's been war, then more wars, and Mr Peace, and what a hypocrisy. They gave Obama the Nobel Peace Prize, mm-hmm. you know, and then he went on and leased another couple of wars to show how he deserved it. Mm. You know, so it's too much. Yeah, well, well you know, I, I, I'm thinking that maybe... Trump didn't go in hard on Clinton the way that maybe you could do if you were coming from a left-wing point of view because the Republicans have been up to much the same stuff. Well, that's right. Of, that's you know, right. Well, arming that, 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 I think, makes it, it quite un, unreal, the fact that both... It's like here, the debates mm. between Turnbull and Shorten. There's something lacking in them. The mm. main thing lacking in them is any real difference between them. Mm. And this is what's happening. If you strip away the rhetoric... Of we'll make America great again, or America is great. I mean, this it's bullshit laid on. And uh, apropos of that, the Atlantic Council, which is a, a U.S. geopolitical strategy think tank, has published a new report called The Future of the Army. And it shows the far-reaching preparations that are underway in, in the report's own words to, quote, to fight, quote, major and deadly wars between, quote, great powers, which will entail, quote, heavily casualties and high levels of death and destruction. The document was co-authored by Lieutenant General David Barno, the who he was the bloke who led the US 
force in Afghanistan from 2003 to 5, having previously taken part in invasions of Grenada and Panama. Uh, today, in a world of haves and haves not, will be greatly magnified, he says. With those fortunate enough to have unemployment and access to stunning technology, living in stark contrast to the hundreds of millions struggling to survive in disrupted environments. So what we've pointed out many, many times is the growing mass inequality throughout the war. The response of the American government is not to lessen the inequality, but to prepare the army. And we can see that already, the the militarised police forces over there. You know, you get police police uh, patrols in the United States. They look like an assemblage of Darth yes, Vader characters. Yes, you know. Become uh, like the South Koreans, you know. It really is very militaristic, the police now. And speaking of the president, the report declares that the United States has entered an era of perpetual war. Mm. So they're well aware of it. It's, this is not uh, a left-wing conspiracy view. It's their view is the same. Mm. Uh, they see the like this Atlantic Council sees the likelihood of such war in what it calls Russia's resurgence, which requires NATO to quote seriously prepare for the possibility of a Russian attack on one or more of its members for the first time since the ending of the Cold War. China, it says, has become increasingly aggressive. One might add, this is breathtaking when contrasted with the Americans. I mean, how, the Americans, the Russians are in Syria and bombing the shit out of the place, no question. Where are the Americans? They're all over the place. Everywhere. They've got 185 bases throughout the world. Uh, the report goes on. A future major war against great power competitor might require the army to grow by several orders of magnitude in order to prevail. In other words, a draft. That's what's coming in the United States. Finally, there must be active preparations for an intervention, as the report says, or even a takeover by the military in the event of what the report calls a breakdown of civil order. Now, what they're talking about there is they know the day will come when the have-nots will start to kick the traces over and they're getting ready for it. And when the working class has had enough and starts to actively protest, you'll be facing the army. Totally left out of this analysis, except as the object of a military repression, are the American people. It never occurs to those engaged in the preparation of these policies to consult the population. It's taken for granted that the population will agree to a course of action that will result in death, war and destruction on a massive scale. In the United States, the United States is dominated by an immensely powerful <laughs> financial oligarchy and the vast national security apparatus in its employ. Elections, the Trump-Hillary one, are shows, a punch and duty shows for policies determined behind the scene and kept out of the, the private view. The two of them do look a lot like punch and duty, actually. Well, <laughs> nothing can stop the, the drive to war, certainly not the candidates who are effectively both war candidates. Yeah, I think I'd prefer punch and duty. Well, I think I prefer that too. Just one thing before, it's 10.24, just going back... I was going to speak a little bit, just a quick one. No, just, I just want to say one sentence. Just in case you got the wrong impression last week, there is no question that the use, growing and selling oh, of marijuana no. <laughs> is illegal.
There's no question about that. You can't um, argue that. And I just think anybody who's you're thought a rebel. we were suggesting... You're a rebel, Chris. If anybody was suggesting... No, I'm not. I'm just pointing out fact. If anybody suggests otherwise, they're wrong. If it's, anyone, it's illegal. If you, if you can point to me to anybody who's been busted for own personal, right, personal quantity of cannabis... Uh, I'd be very surprised. There'd have to be a it's very stupid It's against the person. law to grow marijuana, right. and it's against the law if you're caught it. Okay. Anyway, okay. They have other crimes that are probably desire their attention okay. more, but the fact is it's not legal. That's yeah, the point I'm trying to make. Now, go on. Okay. It's not legal, full stop. Yeah, not true, but okay. Uh, I, I just got this email, and it's um, from Defend and Extend Public Housing, and, uh, and this is what it says, okay? Mm-hmm. We understand that the Victorian Labour Cabinet has just endorsed the decision to privatise 70% of Victoria's public housing stock. Under the guise of improving community, social and affordable housing in Victoria, they have agreed to transfer the management and ownership of the majority of public housing to community, social and affordable housing groups that are privately owned and run. The transfer of taxpayer-funded public housing to non-government organisations deals a death blow to the idea access to affordable housing for all Australians who require it is primarily a state and federal government responsibility. Now, this is uh, from, I, I believe it's a group, uh, it's, it's, it's through PIPSI and it's through uh, another group called Friends of Public Housing. Mm-hmm. And uh, the campaign is being called Defend and Extend Public Housing. If you're interested in doing something to uh, defend public housing, there will be public rallies on the steps of the Victorian State Parliament. These will go, they will start at half past 11, go roughly to about half past 1. When? What day? And the first one is next Thursday, this coming Thursday, the 20th of October at half past 11. There will be other rallies uh, also on Thursday the 17th of November and Thursday the 15th of December. If uh, anyone's interested and you want to get along to one of those rallies, be great. And the other thing, of course, that's happened during the week is that the... uh, Plebiscite on same-sex marriage has been basically shafted, and uh, th- this is a good thing. And and people say, and, and for people who are opposed to same-sex marriage are saying, "Oh, it's democratic." Well, it's not because it doesn't bind anybody, and it involves handing over large sums of taxpayer money to uh, bigots, homophobes, and people who will just so hatred and despair to a whole range of innocent people, families of gay people, families of uh, queer and uh, BT, LDB, I never get the initials right. What? LTBG, you know, what? lesbian, gay. You don't know what I'm talking about. No, I don't know. You know what you're talking about. No, I don't know. Okay, I don't know what the initials are. <laughs> I don't know what the initials are, but all, all these um, non-heterosexual uh, people, that's been long back. And... Um, you know, the hypocrisy from both sides on this. Okay, Shorten, ha- Shorten yeah. happens to be on the right side yeah, yeah. at this instant. Yeah. But a few years ago, he was opposed no, to gay one marriage. Year, one year ago. They were all opposed to yeah. gay marriage. And then when they saw that the people had moved well ahead of them, as they do in most things, as they do in most things, the politicians have scrambled to catch up. So the integrity of Labour or Liberal on the question of gay marriage is nil. And uh, or I think now the campaign should be from people supporting gay marriage. 
is to put pressure for an immediate vote in Parliament. I mean, it's ridiculous this, is, this has gone on so long. And, of course, it's only Tony Abbott uh, whose will is now being carried out with this uh, wanting the so-called plebiscite. And uh, I don't don't be fooled that that's more democratic. When they start having a plebiscite about whether we should go to war, when they have a plebiscite <sighs> as to whether we should take on China and challenge them, then the plebiscite mm. must have some credibility. But of course they don't, because they don't want to delay the decision of making war. They want to be able to do it without consulting you and I. But with gay marriage, it's a tactic to delay it. There has been a staggering amount of hypocrisy from both sides as they refer to Labour and Liberal. Um, even the politician standards, they've yes. been hypocritical. Yes, that's right. Absolutely. 